0: Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today we have our frequent guest. I don't know how frequent he has been lately. He's been hiding uh, somewhere in a dark cave. You see the darkness surrounding him. Our frequent guest, Joseph Sabo, is uh, here to join us to talk about prophecy fulfillment boundaries and uh, counterfactuals. What if prophecies didn't come true? How How do Christians handle prophecy in general? Uh, Sabo, would you like uh, to say a few intro words? I'm going to put you on the spot here. It's just every time. I like do this the whole, every the time. Whole, the it's whole whole
1: weird. Yeah, the whole intro you're talking, I'm trying to think of something clever to say. And
0: per usual, I got nothing. So, Well, what the audience doesn't know is before we started this, you fed me all my clever intro lines. And so... Um, I, I commandeered them for myself, I took them and then I used them all, and now you're just out of the clever intro lines.
1: Soaking up all the talent, yeah, like a typical <laughs> yeah. producer.
0: Like William Shatner, That's uh, he was known for that on Star Wars, like he would take all the best lines and everyone hated him, which is lampooned in the great movie, uh, Galaxy Quest. That movie is incredible. That's an amazing movie, I love it.
1: Yeah, it does not get it. A- the attention it deserves it's probably one of the best sci-fi movies definitely one of the best comedies definitely the best comedy sci-fi movie
0: and who's the sure. guy that plays a uh, guy is sam sam reene is sam, that...
1: that's sam rockwell isn't it
0: rockwell okay and uh he was just uh in a movie he i just in... watched go did you for watch it jo- did you watch jojo rabbit i, d- I did watch jojo rabbit ah, how I, good is it I, I i absolutely love it and if uh joker hadn't come out this year it would be the best movie of the year you think joker's better than jojo rabbit I, I think for long term oh, meaning and commentary, social commentary, I I think it will have longer lasting social and uh, writing value. But Jojo Rabbit's amazing. Uh, the film, the style of the film, just absolutely stunning. I keep I keep coming back to scenes and rewatching those scenes. Just. Just how marvelously it's crafted, the character development, uh, the people growing and learning—it's a really a coming-of-age story for a ten-year-old boy, which you could, you and I probably could identify with. Uh, you know, being a little boy and having little boy thoughts, and then growing up and learning about the world—just uh, absolutely amazing story. Oh, for sure,
1: I, I, I agree with you. Joker is probably, I mean, not probably, it will definitely have a much bigger reach than Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit's kind of niche, I think. Like maybe it's not for everyone. I don't know. A ten-year-old boy with a comedian, comedic Hitler as an imaginary best friend, giving him terrible advice is probably not (laughs) probably not for everyone. Um, But if you like Wes Anderson movies, um, that's kind of what the style struck me is like Wes Anderson in nineteen forties Germany. It was pretty interesting. I loved it though. There's so many great scenes. So funny. Masterpiece. And, and uh, yeah.
0: that fat lady, Re- Rebel Wilson. Yes. Um, I absolutely hate her as an actress and everything she is is just just terrible. But she actually does a really good job in this movie. And uh, her character expressions, She she's actually uh, maybe underneath everything. And that's a lot of stuff to get underneath. Maybe she's a talented actress after all. Nah.
1: She only said like eight lines in the entire
0: movie, but they're all gems, I think.
1: It's one of those things like... Everything she did was quality, so she just kind of shined. But yeah. uh, Sam Rockwell was phenomenal, and oh, like that man. that whole um, sort of undercover homosexual tension with the the guy that was serving <laughs> under him, and like you don't even really notice it until about halfway through the movie, and he walks in like the guys on his knees, and he's feeding him cake or something, and you're like, what's going like, on here? Pudding.
0: Like, like in a uh, high school, like, like that's like the gayest thing you could think of is like two men feeding each other pudding.
1: In right. Nazi uniforms.
0: Well, yeah, Nazi uniforms or cowboy right. uniforms. Uh, they, they. I think they made a movie about cowboy uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, well, but just, just a fantastic movie. But not, not quite to do with anything we're talking about tonight. But uh, no, everyone just, go see JoJo Rabbit immediately, though. It's absolutely awesome. everyone. Oh, it's, it's so good. I'm going to show my kids. Oh, so. for sure. For sure. Okay, but today we're talking about. Prophecy fulfillment. Christians, it seems to me, like um, they they're really big into prophecy. They they'll say this many prophecies in the Bible were fulfilled. And uh, I had a youth pastor once when I was in college, and he had this big list of 300 prophecies that are fulfilled uh, in the coming of Jesus from the Old Testament. And uh, you you start going through them, and some of them, you know, you go one by one. Some of them seem kind of a stretch. So it kind of Christianity has taught me uh, throughout my time here on Earth that they will accept almost anything as prophecy fulfillment. And and on top of that, almost anything as prophecy. So sometimes you turn back to the Old Testament references, and it doesn't really look like a prophecy. But if the New Testament says something like, it's this is fulfilled in this, they'll say, oh, that was a prophecy. And they'll count it towards their prophecy f- fulfillment. So what we're going to try to do is uh, intellectually look at the boundaries of what Christianity would consider a fulfilled prophecy. I think the best way to do this is to turn to the prophecy of Tyre. It's a famous prophecy. Atheists turn to it a lot to show a failed prophecy, and Christians have have in the, in their time uh, built a defense against this claim that the prophecy against Tyre or Tyre, however you want to say it. Uh, I, I, I've been told Tyre is the right pronunciation, but uh, the prophecy against Tyre, Christians will claim, is a fulfilled. Prophecy. Have you ever encountered these individuals?
1: I mean, like literally everyone, I imagine. Literally Um, everyone.
0: Yeah. And so Um, uh, it's interesting. So the prophecy of Tyre or Tyre is in Ezekiel 26. And it came to pass that in the 11th year, on the first day that the word of the Lord came to me, said, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Ah, she's broken. And who is the gateway of the peoples? Now she's turned over to me. I shall be filled. She is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Tyr, and will cause many nations. This is, this is a key phrase that people point to. I will cause many nations to come up against you as the sea causes its waves to come up. And so keep that phrase in mind too, because uh, I, I like to point to that. Uh, And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her, make her like the top of a rock. Okay, so they're going to make her like a top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. It shall become plunder for nations, her daughters and all everyone in them. It gets killed in verse 6. For thus, says the Lord, behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, with horsemen, and an army with many people he will slay with the sword he'll kill your daughters he'll destroy your walls scrolling down his hooves the hooves of his horses will trample all the streets he'll slay your people by the sword and uh, all, all the strong pillars are gonna come to the de- ground he says here i'll put an end to your songs uh, the sounds of your harps they're, they're all gonna go i'll make you like the top of a rock this is recounting that before you shall be a place for spreading nets and you shall never be rebuilt i, I could pull up a map of Tyre. It exists today. We could look at it on Google Maps. And so, um, did, did, did this happen? So, first of all, what, what, what are your thoughts on the prophecy of Tyre? Did, did it happen? No. No. Okay. So, uh, Christians will say something like, uh, you know, the prophecy of Tyre did happen And uh, even though it talks about King Nebuchadnezzar taking Tyre, destroying it, uh, doing all these things, making it like a top of a rock. What it says over here in uh, this verse, it says, verse three, I will cause many nations. See, see, they they say, see, Nebuchadnezzar is one nation. And so then you have to add on top of that, there was a time where Egypt tried to take her Tyre. And uh, uh, like 200 years later, that happened. And then 250 years later, Alexander the Great came up and uh, took the island, the island of Tyre, because Tyre is an island and then a mainland. And King Nebuchadnezzar probably broke through the mainland, but it's really hard to, to siege an island. And Alexander the Great, what he did is he, he, he took pieces of their walls and he filled in the water in order to get, gain... Uh, land access to their island city, and so
1: I mean, he was a brilliant general. I mean, that's just that's kind of an incredible thing for the time. As a side note, um, yeah, it,
0: Alexander the Great, a great strategist, a very brave guy. He would he would lead his men into battle at the front lines. Like usually, like kings, you know, you don't want your king dead, so they usually don't jump over the wall first and then force all their bodyguards to jump in afterwards. But Alexander the Great, he was. He was I maybe he just gets a huge Russia out of battle. He was a brilliant military stratetician. And he he was the one to eventually take Tyre. Plus so it looks like Colin Farrell, I think, doesn't he? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> From so that the
1: Alexander movie. The thing that gets me about this prophecy is <clears throat> Christians in general, and this is gonna be I don't really like to generalize too much, but we're gonna generalize because Christians are all pretty much agreed on the nature of prophecy, uh, what it's for, and their fulfillments as far as requirements for fulfillments and things like that. Um, This particular prophecy sounds to me like Nebuchadnezzar is going to come at the behest of God. God's going to allow him. God's going to do something there, and he's going to come and wipe out the entire city and it's never going to get rebuilt.
0: That's what it sounds like to me, too. It's Does it? Okay. And
1: we agree that that definitely didn't happen. Right. Okay.
0: And so it uh, all, all the language, it, it could be hyperbole. Sometimes it's like, uh, I'll destroy you forever. You'll never be rebuilt. And what that means is you're going to just experience uh, total destruction, regardless of whether it's rebuilt or not. Uh, hyperbole is an available figure of speech. But uh, the details here... Don't suggest what actually happened, that many nations. So many nations is two nations. Many nations is three nations. That doesn't sound like many nations. Uh, my, my understanding of this is king, uh, king Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible is called and uh, titled the king of many nations. Like he, he writes a letter and it goes to many nations because uh, he has nations under him. And his armies are made up of, uh, you know, regular troops that are acquired from his own territory and, and auxiliary troops, uh, like, for example, Jewish mercenaries have been used traditionally through, in wars throughout history. Uh, you you can actually hire mercenaries from Greece. You could uh, levy them from subject territories to augment your army. Uh, this is this is one of the reasons why uh, Crassus was a Crassus who who lost a friend of Caesar and he is he didn't trust his auxiliary troops and so the auxiliary troops uh, you know didn't didn't help him and then he lost something like that happened there was, was probably Crassus that I'm thinking of but sure. uh, this is these these armies were not it's not like America where you only basically get Americans and and you you might get some foreigners but then they're mixed units no these are auxiliaries that are raised from from subject territories and so king of king nebuchadnezzar is king of many nations the many nations come up like waves and so if if you're imagining the scene that this prophecy is setting up it's like a continual battering like you're you're maybe you're on the ocean i don't know if you've ever been on the ocean i'm from florida you're from I florida feel, i feel like that was
1: a shot because i haven't been there for like 10 years and i seriously <laughs> missed the ocean and i feel like you know that
0: <laughs> you feel like i i know that uh, I don't know, you know, Florida people, maybe they don't get out of their houses that often to the ocean, but uh, no, I don't know. But I mean, there's in the waves. And the trailer park in like 7-Eleven once in a while. That's about so, it. so waves are powerful. W- waves are scary things. I've been flipped onto my head by a wave and I felt like my neck could have snapped very easily. Uh waves are powerful, they're consistent. You you're not gonna be able to stop a wave, it just goes splatter, 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 just just banging against what whatever location you're on. And that's that's the image that's being put up against tire. And this is a seafaring nation. And so so waves of nations, and uh you got I, I think I got a history of tire pulled up somewhere. We we could try to pull that up. And uh you got ooh, ah, You got Nebuchadnezzar who attacks it in like what it's I'm going to scroll down you know what, 600 BC something like that and it's like uh, another 200 years before the king of Egypt and then Alexander the Great in about uh, 300 BC and so three three different groups of people in this huge long 250 year time frame and uh, then the last one succeeds that doesn't sound to me like waves it doesn't sound to me like nations it sounds like three different people groups spread out over a huge amount of time and by the time that everything happened not only were the people dead who the prophecy was to but but their children were dead and their children were dead and maybe their children's children were dead and so you're like six generations down so you're prophesying against a nation against people who aren't born for hundreds of years is is that the idea <laughs> I think so, and I think that they probably would
1: appeal to um and there's something like the sins of the fathers will be like in the in the Old Testament it doesn't say something about like the children having to bear the consequences for the parents or something like that in one verse, I know in another place it says
0: that that's not how it how it will be um. <clears throat> Yeah, so in Ezekiel, it's uh, the the kids will not bear the sins of their father in Ezekiel eighteen. So it's it's Ezekiel who undoes the the command for intergenerational punishment. Where Ezekiel's where the Bible it seems to reverse course from intergenerational punishment to against it. But uh, it seems to me that if you're punishing people six years down the line, you're not you're not getting this complete destruction until 250 years later that it's, it doesn't seem like this prophecy is being fulfilled as it as described.
1: No, I mean, definitely not. But this is an instance where, you know, we, we retroactively go back and we try to find some way to make this fit because God forbid prophecy fail. Because I think for a lot of Christians, prophecy is like, um, it, it like gives them, you know, that warm and fuzzy feeling because God is able to predict the future and cause things to happen. And if there's human freedom involved and God is working at things and sometimes his plans fail, they don't have that warm and fuzzy feeling anymore. You know, I feel like for some people, prophecy is as important as the gospel itself. You know, like they're they're tied together. They're You can't separate one from the other, which is a completely ridiculous um assertion and yeah but i feel that way because of the way that people the lengths that people will go to try to hermeneutically justify things like this um that are clearly unfulfilled prophecies clearly failed prophecies clearly god had a purpose and it didn't come about right and I, I don't understand why we can't all just be secure enough to look at one another and just be okay with that you know but So I not there yet, I guess.
0: I think it's funny. So you point out that this is a failed prophecy. The Bible records that it is a failed prophecy. So like, if there's no prophecy fulfillment recorded in the Bible, people would say, oh, it did come true. It's just not recorded in the history books. Okay, maybe. Uh, But Ezekiel 29, 18 says, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, caused his army to labor strenuously against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder rubbed raw. The siege was like 13 years So he spends 13 years trying to take over this city and they're just they're just not going. Uh, Yet neither he nor his army received wages on Tyre. That doesn't sound like the plunder that was described earlier for the labor which they expended on it. Therefore, thus says the Lord. So therefore seems like there's a connection between what's happening next and the failure for Nebuchadnezzar to take Tyre. Therefore thus says the Lord God Surely I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon he shall take away her wealth carry off her spoil remove her pillage and that will be his wages for his armies Because because his wages didn't materialize that he was expecting in his siege of Tyre And so Egypt seems to be given as a consolation prize he goes to fight Egypt and uh, he doesn't take Egypt in our historical records as well and so people will come to this verse and they'll say he did take Egypt and it's like, well, did he? Where, where is that? It, just because it's not in the Bible that he didn't take Egypt, um, they're going to claim that Nebuchadnezzar s- somehow, somewhere did take Egypt. It's it's a weird, weird argument to me.
1: Oh, I've never encountered that, but I'm sure that that's definitely a thing. Yeah. So it,
0: if a prophecy fulfillment's not listed in the Bible, um, then it did come true regardless and and the next argument they make is uh well ezekiel wrote both of these both of these verses that nebuchadnezzar is going to take it and nebuchadnezzar failed so obviously obviously ezekiel wouldn't have recorded it if it was a failed prophecy really is that a good argument no i don't even
1: understand it like this doesn't make any sense
0: so they're saying just
1: why would he no i mean i get the argument yeah so Ezekiel is aware that something didn't happen, so he's going to like choose to not write about it or not include it in the book or something. Right. I mean, he... he uh, that's crazy, man. I don't even... So, I, don't, he, I wish I could better articulate how stupid that is, but I just kind of can't.
0: So I, I'm going to pause it right now. Um, well, I need to jump back to our previous uh, verses here. I'm going to pause it right now that in Ezekiel 26, it says, I will make you like the top of a rock. This is Tyre. You shall be a place for spreading nets and you shall never be rebuilt. For I, the Lord has spoken, says the Lord God. I will pause it. I'll throw out as, as an introduction to this, uh, hypothetical. What would Christians consider prophecy fulfillment? What's the extent of that? That if Tyre, it's a city that exists today, let's say a nuclear weapon went off in Tyre and just flattened it, leveled it, made it like a top of a rock. I I would think that Christians would say this is a continuation of the Ezekiel prophecy. And because Ezekiel 26, 14 says that I will make you uh, like a top of the rock, and there's no time frame associated with it. That what it really was doing was predicting that nuclear blast that happened in present day. I'm oh. willing willing to posit Christians would consider that prophecy fulfillment of this
1: 100%. John Hagee would probably write a book about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so like any unfulfilled prophecy in the Bible um, that hasn't had resolution in the Bible. A lot of Christians think that all those prophecies are still yet future because there's no time delineation on those prophecies. So that's, that's one way of dealing with prophecies that currently are not fulfilled, like uh, all of Israel is going to return to Israel, things like that. Uh, prophecies that are not fulfilled. The, the, the uh, diaspora, those, those people who are in captivity, From, you know, you had Israel and Judah, and then Israel was taken on um, the Assyrian captivity, and then the Babylonian captivity happened to Judah. And the Assyrian captivity Jews were supposed to come home at some point. They really don't exist today. And so, a lot of people, when they're dealing with the book of Revelation and the different tribes, they, they count, they think that it's going to be fulfilled in a future time where these descendants, wherever they might be, are going to be regathered per the different tribes from the Syrian captivity. And that will be future fulfillment of the Syrian captivity prophecy.
1: Yeah. I mean, they do that with everything in revelation though, you know, I mean, that's probably one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. As far as my opinion, I mean, I don't really see any of that future. Maybe like the last two chapters, if we don't want to just read it as, um, all poetic or apocalyptic literature, you know? Right, absolutely. But, and, and this is like one of the things for me as a Christian that's like, it's frustrating to see the way that prophecy gets treated and like the mental hula hoops that people go through and jump through in order to try to make it so that the Bible's right about everything and doesn't have any errors, you know? It's like I have some atheist people that I talk to, and, you know, we, bounce ideas off one another, whatever. We're all trying to figure this stuff out. And they point to this kind of stuff. And it's like, people are all crazy, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) And I don't blame them for it, you know? It's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like, even you just kind of explaining that to me, you know, like it's not even what you think, but it's just so ridiculous, you know, that people will do those kinds of things and jump through those kind of hoops and those gymnastics in order to... I don't know. Preserve what their perceived opinion of what the Bible should be is. It's like why can't we just let it be what it is, you know? I don't know.
0: Alright, so that's let's take so so we we all, we just looked at the prophecy of Tyre, and Christians think that this this is fulfilled uh many nations are gonna come against Tyre and utterly destroy it. It's fulfilled over a course of two hundred and fifty years using three different uh nations. Two two really by the historical records. There's or something I can't source uh, the attack by Egypt. I don't know if Egypt ever really conquered Tyre, but uh, they count three nations over 250 years as affirming this prophecy, which which tells me in my mind that their latitude for prophecy fulfillment is pretty wide. There, there's a wide wide net that uh, w- could work in prophecy fulfillment. So let's say, for example, there's a prophecy that uh, Bethlehem will be will be the birth of, uh, Jesus. So I think, uh, I think we're looking at Micah, uh, Micah, I think it's a five, two, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to ru- be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth has been from old, from everlasting. So there's, there's a prophecy that Bethlehem will spawn maybe a ruler in Israel and so I was hi- hypothesizing to you earlier that uh, you know there, there's a software company called Bethesda and that's that's a famous maybe uh, maybe city that's in Israel and so let's let's say there's a software company called Bethlehem and maybe one of their employees had a baby who turned out to be oh, like Jesus something like that and and if that were the case, if if that was recorded and placed in the Bible, Christians would say it did come out of Bethlehem because the company's name was Bethlehem and the prophecy was to Bethlehem. Even though the original citation seems to be directed at the city, just in name only, uh, Bethlehem, they would consider that as prophecy fulfillment. What what if that was recorded in the Bible? Would Would Christians accept that as the prophecy fulfillment? I think so. I think even if, like... <clears throat> If the mother's last name in some
1: other language transliterated into something close to Bethlehem and had the child, and they were pretty sure like this child is the Messiah or a ruler or whatever, like they would go that far in order to try to get it fulfilled, you know. Uh, I, th- I there think is they... no there is no there is no unfulfilled prophecy in yeah, the so, Bible according okay. to most Christians. You know what we... I mean?
0: We actually have an example of that happening, right? Isaiah seven fourteen, and it says this: uh, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What's Jesus' name? Jesus. <laughs> it, it is Jesus. <laughs> it, it, it's not Emmanuel, uh, it's but not. but because Emmanuel means God with us. Um, Jesus is, Jesus being Emmanuel is fulfilled in some sort of spiritual sense, even though technically speaking, uh, he wasn't named Emmanuel, his name, Jesus, which is Joshua, by the way, it's, it's, Yeshua, a, it's yeah. yep, Joshua. And so he's not named Emmanuel, but this prophecy gets counted as fulfilled, um, not not within the Bible. In the Bible, they're looking more for parallels, of, as we've, we've previously discussed. But Christians are looking for prophecy fulfillment. So this prophecy fulfillment occurs through Jesus, uh, not through his name, but through his spiritual position, I guess.
1: Uh, wasn't this, like, actually fulfilled, though, in Isaiah somewhere? Wasn't, like, the child...
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the... so... Th- this is a present prophecy that, that is commandeered by the New Testament authors. And and it does happen. And uh, this is a child. I think this child uh, exists within the text somewhere. Uh, I, I haven't read through this chapter. I wasn't uh, expecting necessarily to go this chapter. But it does get pro- fulfilled in context. And so this is one of those texts which, depending on your view of how the scripture works, Either is like a dual prophecy, there's a prophecy for now, and there's a prophecy for later. Or my position that this is used to parallel the coming of Jesus. So as this happened before, this is happening now, which points to the truth value of the thing happening now.
1: Yeah, like we had that one episode where we talked about the nature of prophecy and how the New Testament writers will take your mind back to something to try to draw out a concept. You know, and when this gets used in the New Testament, I think what is it? The angel in Luke or something like that is talking to Mary. Um, I, I feel like that's what's going on because this child was the sign from Yahweh. Yes. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was um, either peace or war or something like that was going to be happening as long as the child lived. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, but I think that the author in the New Testament was just going back. To this particular prophecy uh to showcase and and bring your mind to to the point where uh the birth of yeshua is a sign from from yahweh also right. you know, the coming of the kingdom he's god's messiah so on and so forth it wasn't it's not a checklist you know like we talked about before and another thing is uh well that's all i got i guess
0: <laughs> yeah it, it is interesting so the prophecy in Isaiah is to the king so that the king can know something in real time this is a child that the king could walk up to and shake the hand of the child or else the prophecy doesn't really mean anything it's it's not it it serves no value if the prophecy isn't fulfilled till like a thousand years later something like that it's it's to a king at a specific time for a specific purpose but it it's used for Jesus and Jesus is not named Emmanuel maybe in spirit and maybe in spirit it's god is with us but his name was Jesus, and so, so Christians are willing to accept that as prophecy fulfillment. So let's talk really quickly about Acts. Acts is pointed to as uh, I, I got them bookmarked. Acts is pointed to as uh, an example of God fulfilling His plans, His what He wants to accomplish. Something that uh, you know He's predestined with foreknowledge, and this is in a speech. And I think this is uh, Peter speaking right here. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. And so a lot of... uh, For example, a Calvinist came onto the God is Open website and he said, he posted these verses and he said, see, the crucifixion of Jesus was foreknown before the creation of the universe, Uh, time eternal, you know, these things, all the details, everything that everyone has done, all, you know, like the Roman soldiers with the nails, like every, every single, he he didn't, he didn't talk about this type of detail, but he, he expressed his opinion that Every single event in connection with this uh, was was prophesied and foreknown. it has got those trigger
1: words in there, man? It says determined. It says foreknowledge. Don't those words mean from time eternal, always, forever, before creation?
0: Yeah, yeah. This is I why
1: mean, I think... it's not like someone like you can determine to do anything. That's definitely a a God thing. You know, it's not like you can have foreknowledge of anything, Christopher Fisher. That's definitely a God thing.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about minimum minimum fulfillment of the meaning of these verses. And so he says, "Him, this is Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God." Let's just assume uh, foreknowledge just means you know something before it happens. You know, that's that's typically how people take that. And uh, determined purpose, maybe there's a determination placed somewhere in here. So we'll just assume those meanings on those words. Um, what would fulfill this? sentence or or make this sentence true uh, what is what is the scope of what we're looking at here like so if
1: yahweh allowed christ to be crucified because it was part of his plan and knew that that was going to happen at some point before it did
0: right or, so yeah so we have to figure out what delivered means so does delivered, does that include the crucifixion this guy who who came to the site he thought that it included the crucifixion well delivered just means like a handing over maybe and so was does is this in reference to the handing over in the garden of gethsemane
1: it could be it could be a reference to just yeshua being the messiah in general i suppose you know as in maybe christ is here to fulfill the kingdom and inaugurate the kingdom for Yahweh?
0: It could be. And it could be like a reference to his birth, right? Sure.
1: Could be a reference to his birth. Could be a reference to Gethsemane. Could be a reference to either of those. I think.
0: Almost anything. And so a, a, a Christian would consider uh, any of those things that we've already thrown out as fulfillment of this if pressed, because we've already shown the extent of what's acceptable in christianity for prophecy fulfillment it it could be so it's it's past tense so apparently this was fulfilled in the past so there has to be some past event that somewhat similarly meets these requirements there's a delivery and there's a purpose and there's a foreknowledge so if god found out something like two minutes before it happens and then determined something one minute before it happens that would technically fulfill this verse. Fully. Technically speaking.
1: Yeah. And there's nothing, I mean, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? It doesn't have to be from time eternal. Just literally has to know that it's going to happen before it happens and allow it to happen or, you know, it be part of his plan or something like that.
0: Yeah, I'm not even saying that that's the most reasonable take to take on it. But it's just a possible, acceptable, in-Christianity take on this verse. And so this guy that we were interacting with, he eventually got kicked from the group because, you know, the Jews, uh, the same word is used for the Jews foreknowing Paul. And we said, uh, when, when was that? Uh, time delineate that. When did those Jews foreknow Paul? Was it from time eternal? Is, is that in the word? And the guy wouldn't answer. He, he wanted that specific meaning for this one proof text without applying a consistent meaning elsewhere. So, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. So, it doesn't really necessarily link the crucifixion, being taken by lawless hands, and being put to death. Uh, You don't necessarily have to link that to the purpose. Was the purpose to take him by lawless hands, crucify him, and put him to death? Was the foreknowledge to take him by lawless hands, crucify him, and put him to death? I, I don't see the link there. It seems to be... In reference to probably the arresting, the, the maybe the handing over. And then they did something wrong that they shouldn't have done. They shouldn't have shouldn't have killed Jesus. This is a criticism against them.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean I got nothing.
0: <laughs> you got nothing.
1: <laughs> I got nothing right there. <laughs>
0: So let's talk uh, next about, uh, we, we talked a little bit about Bethlehem and how, uh, you know, Christians would probably accept almost anything for that prophecy interpretation. Let's talk a little bit about the implications that has for not only open theists, but individuals trying to use prophecy against open theism. And I like to, I, I talked to you earlier, uh, I'd like to always point to John the Baptist and his interaction with the Pharisees as a good example of God's innovation in getting prophecy fulfilled. He, the Pharisees, come to him, and he says, "Who have, has warned you of the wrath to come? Uh, Repent." He says, "Do not say that we have Abraham as our father, because I tell you this that God could raise new children of Abraham from these rocks, because there's a promise. There's a promise to Israel that." Uh, God has this eternal promise to the children of Abraham to make them a great and mighty nation, make them greater than the stars, make them a priest nation. And John the Baptist is saying that God is willing to allow all Jews to die and then fulfill that prophecy through innovative means if need be. Not that God has plans to do that, but that's just an example of how God can use different scenarios, how God can react to different scenarios as he's presented that, that accords with the rules of justice you don't let uh, evil people just uh, survive forever just due to some sort of promise God can work with both putting down injustice or putting down injustice and fulfilling his prophecy through use of innovative means and so John the Baptist seems to be an adherent of innovative prophecy fulfillment
1: yeah he he really gets it here and this is a very uh, poignant verse I think you know it's very dense. Um, it also speaks to the fact that children of Abraham need not be genetically descended from Abraham, you know, because if you wipe out all the descendants of Abraham and you raise up stones to take their place, I mean, those stones weren't genetically descended. Um, <clears throat> but like all prophecy, in my opinion, it speaks to God's power and his ability to uh, work in time and work, work out his purposes, uh, no matter what. The situations are you know within within human freedom and things like that as well because as we see sometimes his plans don't come about um so he really gets it there
0: yeah so uh yeah what, what you're saying i think is hitting the nail on its head uh pretty acutely that prophecy is more about god than it is about us it Prophecy as recorded in the Bible, I, I don't see very many direct prophecies to me sitting here. When we're reading prophecy, we're reading a historical situation in which God is interacting with specific people at specific times for specific purposes. And the whole Bible is really about God. We are learning about God through his interaction with the world. And so there's a prophecy to destroy you know, uh, it, and maybe the city gets partially destroyed. What, what's the intent of the prophecy? What, what's it telling us about God? And uh, what's the fulfillment telling us about God? Do, do the technical details even have to come about, come true? Uh, you know, just like Tyre is going to be leveled like a rock. never happens. Uh, the details might not come true. There's never these horses that trample through the streets. King Nebuchadnezzar's horses never never take Tyre. They don't get the wages that, that are promised to them. Yeah the the details don't really have to come true. They you just have to use the prophecy as a pointer to God and God's character and see how he's working and how he fulfills those prophecies, right? Fully. Totally. And it, it has to be in some sort of some sort of uh, you know, range of acceptability. It can't be like totally outside of the scope. Like in Isaiah, for example, uh, God's prophecy fulfillment is linked to their worship of yahweh they know yahweh is the true god because he has done the things that he said he's going to do and it doesn't give god infinite freedom to uh in a super innovatively uh, beyond anyone's reasonable expectations uh fulfill prophecy it, it does have to be fulfilled in some sort of way that would meet the basic intent
1: yeah i, I think the basic intent is the key phrase there you know if it's not so much about the details or the specifics, you know and it's more about like even the prophecy of Israel um, going into captivity, you know there's a specific number there that did not happen, you know, but the intent of the prophecy is basically to just say that Israel's going to be in captivity for a long time, and that is something that did happen, you know, and then they were brought out of captivity. so I think depending on how you look at prophecy. Um, if you're a specifics sort of super detail orientated kind of person, or if it's more about the intent behind it, that kind of will shift the scale as far as um, failed or fulfilled in my opinion as well. Something like tire though, you know, it's very specific. I think the intent was to, was to convey the idea that tire was going to be destroyed and never, ever be rebuilt. Like it's gone, wiped off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that didn't happen, you know? So, in my opinion, I would count that one as unfulfilled. You know, they did have some difficulties and some troubles with the 13-year siege, and some other people came and tried to sack their city and take the island and all that. Um, so intent-wise, it's possible also, I think, for God to still maybe fulfill his purpose, you know, in his grand and his bigger plan, even in, within a failed prophecy, you know. that That's maybe even a thing.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem that God... Uh, is, is uh, unconditionally going to try to fulfill every single prophecy that, you know, there's, as he writes in Jeremiah, when circumstances change, he's not going to do what he said he's going to do, not going to do what he thought he's going to do uh, because the circumstances have changed. It wouldn't be right or just. It doesn't make sense to continue on with the current plan. You adapt to the circumstances as they arise. It doesn't make it necessarily a failed prophecy, but, uh, you know, the, you you do react to changing circumstances. So what if God uh, tells Nebuchadnezzar that he's going to take the city and Nebuchadnezzar goes and maybe he doesn't try hard enough, or maybe there's extenuating circumstances. Like for example, with is it the, the Moabites who have that counterinsurgency against Israel which thwarts God's promise that they're going to take the whole land. He says, you're going to take all their cities. You're going to fell all their trees. You're going to have all their stuff. And then the king takes his son. He sacrifices his son on the side of the wall, burns him as a burnt offering to their own God. And then their people have this rush of morale. It's it's almost like divine warfare. Maybe they're supernaturally enabled by, by their deities. And they rush out, and Israel loses heart, and Israel retreats. And so the failure is, uh, even though God prophesied that they're going to take all these cities, the cities weren't taken, and that's in part due to Israel's morale. They lost faith, they lost morale, and they retreated from something that God had promised. They They were on the path. They could have defeated these people, but it was a morale issue.
1: Yeah. And he still accomplished his purpose for them, you know, even though they didn't take all the land just then, they still had, you know, their own, their own space for a while. So,
0: yeah, they, they, they were doing pretty good. Uh, so <laughs> so that, this brings us to our last subject that we, we want to talk about tonight is, uh, what about the condition of how would Christians deal with prophecies which do fail and are admitted to fail and we'll, we'll take Jonah as a great example because When you're reading Jonah, it doesn't look like there's any conditions that's attached to anything that Jonah states. He says, uh, 40 days and you're going to be overthrown. Uh, God says, arise, go to Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. He says, yeah, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown is the message that's explicitly given. And then in the last verse, it says, God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said. So God is the one speaking, although Jonah's speaking. God relented from the disaster he had said he would bring upon him, and he did not do it. So it's, it's, it's a positive reinforcement. There's two different phrases pointing to God not doing what he said he would do. And so there's no conditions in there. And so technically, if you want to get very specific, this is a failed prophecy. So how do Christians deal with this?
1: I don't I don't know. You told me a story about some guy said that it was like a spiritual fulfillment or something. Was that this one?
0: Yeah, that was this one. So uh, we had this guy in our God is Open group. He was an open theist, but he's an open theist of the type that wanted to claim, and some open theists do this. This is not, this is not an open theist, non-open theist issue. Some open theists say all prophecy is fulfilled. And so, yeah, th- th- that's a view and that's a respectable view. I'm um, Not necessarily the guy's view about this prophecy of Nineveh. He stated that 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. We take a look at it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, He claimed that, yes, Nineveh was overthrown. But remember back to our Jesus example, uh, Jesus is uh, named Emmanuel, right? Uh, It's a spiritual fulfillment. He said that the city was overthrown spiritually. Uh, They abandoned their old ways and they had a renewal, a a revival. Uh, They came to Jesus. They had a come to Jesus moment in in the In the idiomatic sense, they had to come to Jesus moment, and uh, the whole city was overthrown therefore therefore, the prophecy is fulfilled and that doesn't seem like a tenable view to me no that's that's such a stretch. Um,
1: I think most Christians that I've heard talk about this um, they actually appeal to the passage in Jeremiah about um, if he prophesies against a nation and they change their ways, then he'll relent. So they'll accept the fact that this didn't happen, but they will affirm the fact that God knew that they would repent because God knows everything. So he sent in a he sent Jonah there to give them that prophecy because that's what they needed to hear at the time in order for them to repent, which is what he wanted and what he knew that they were going to do. So it kind of doesn't matter. Like so, this is a fake. Prophecy, kind of like it's,
0: it's implied. Like implied conditional. We'll go with right. Uh, implied
1: conditional. There we go. Because of that passage in Jeremiah,
0: and I think that's an okay view to have. I don't disagree with the view. I I honestly think that in this passage, God is depicted as not wanting Nineveh to be destroyed. He doesn't want to do what he said he would do. Right. His motivation is to get them to change and repent, which is. Probably not going to happen if you ever go down to San Francisco with a sandwich board and your sandwich board says repent or, or be destroyed. Um, San Francisco is not going to have a Christian revival. I guarantee you. And Nineveh is probably a lot more wicked than San Francisco. Yeah. Probably. Don't quote me on it. Uh, <laughs> there's,
1: there's, a, there's like poop everywhere in San Francisco, isn't there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's probably poop everywhere in Nineveh. I don't know. You think so? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know if they had working uh, plumbing system. If they had uh, ancient, uh, you know, way to dispose of their waste. It, it's a pretty large city. He talks about how long it took to go through. Uh, it's 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 a pretty big city. It says now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three day journey in extent. Which that seems absolutely huge to me. A three day walk through a city.
1: Three day walk through a city. Is that like Minneapolis? It's probably bigger than Minneapolis, huh?
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. And uh, so it's a pretty big city. But anyways, uh, let's take what we talked about here and apply it to something that did come true. A lot of people come to open theists and they say, what about Peter's three denials? Uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. How can Jesus know that? Uh, So we're going to deal with a hypothetical counterfactual that that did not happen. Peter did not deny Jesus three times. Maybe he denies him once, maybe he denies him zero times. Uh, We could deal with the counterfactual, maybe he denied him four times. Okay, so how about let's go with zero. Uh, Peter denies Jesus zero times and that's put in the Bible hypothetically. How would Christians deal with that?
1: How would Christians deal with that? Hmm. They would probably not count it as a prophecy because it didn't happen would be my guess. You know, looking back at Jesus' words, um, with no record of him denying him three times, they would probably say that, I don't know, it was hyperbole, or maybe it was a situation, like they say, about Nineveh, Nineveh, where Jesus said something to him that he needed to hear in order to bring some other outcome. I mean, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's actually a good point. So if there's nothing in the Bible about P- Peter's denials, it's just not recorded his response, they would either say, well, it wasn't a real prophecy, or it was secretly fulfilled, but the scripture doesn't record it. Well, let's sure. say the, the scripture records him affirming Jesus. He, he's, he's questioned, and then instead of uh, not denying, uh, we get an affirmation of Jesus, and that's recorded in the Bible. Then how would Christians respond to this? Hmm. I will hypothesize, that okay. they, they might they might treat this like like Jonah. They might say there was an implied conditional, and uh, this was meant as a warning for him to wake up and turn to God, and the implied conditional was fulfilled. It's like, you're gonna deny me unless you you change your life around and start affirming me. And it, it got him to respond in such a way that it, the prophecy wasn't unfulfilled. It was conditionally fulfilled because it uh, had the the intended results I'll go with that that seems to be how Christians might deal with it so let's say there's only one recorded instance of his denials He, he denies Jesus only one time and then maybe he affirms Jesus or maybe there's no other recorded instance um Probably hyperbole, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it could be hyperbole. Yeah. They, they might actually do that. They might be like, well, his one denial had the strength of three.
1: It had the strength of three, right? It yeah. counted as three against him. Or well, he
0: he said it. Uh, he thought it. He thought it. Oh, and, and, then, and then, then they wrote he, it down, maybe. And then
1: they wrote it down. <laughs> there it is. It's like, uh, it's kind of, it's almost like Nostradamus' writing. So, have you ever read any of those or heard how people try to like, turn him into some great sage that predicted all these huge future world changing events and such.
0: Yeah. I, I I made a meme about that uh, because it's, it's really funny. I watched like a history channel thing on Nostradamus once. And uh, it seems to me like absolute nonsense. He just wrote about, wrote a bunch of vague phrases
1: and then everyone,
0: everyone's treating him like he predicted world war II. He said something about a line and there were, there were people hiding in the city during these raids of Germany, that when Germany was bombing England. And so he he was referring to uh, the underground line that people were hiding in or something like that. It's crazy,
1: man, the way that people go back and try to do that kind of stuff. Like I remember after nine eleven, there was that one thing that he said that, like between the two rivers, a city of York or something like that. And it talked about like, uh, I don't know, a, a bird or two birds or something ridiculous. And everyone was like, oh, look at this, Nostradamus predicted 9-11. It's like I hear, I hear people doing that stuff, and sometimes when I hear Christians talk about prophecy, it's like that's all that's going through my head. Is It's like the same thing, you know? It's crazy, man.
0: Yeah, it's pretty funny. It, it's, uh, it, it, it seems like they just really want to believe that uh, these people have predictive powers over things, and they're, they're going to go through great lengths to affirm what they want to believe. Because wouldn't it be cool if there was some old guy in some ancient time who was able to foresee World War II? Wouldn't right. it be cool if it was predicted from thousands of like some, some Christians will do that with the Bible. They'll say, we ran the numbers, and uh, the numbers predicted 9-11 because have you looked at this prophecy and this prophecy? And uh, You're probably familiar with this. Anytime something happens in the Middle East, it's it's a prophecy fulfillment it's
1: always dude every time something happens in the middle east prophecies getting fulfilled like so many prophecies being fulfilled every day all day every day it's i just like i don't know man i'm kind of sick of it to be honest with you you know like it it makes me feel ashamed in some ways you know almost for my beliefs because like i'm associated with these people uh (laughs)
0: So I can't find the meme I made, but it was a picture of Nostradamus and said, uh, see, my prophecy was fulfilled. Uh, a vaguely similar event happens sometime in the future or something like that.
1: <laughs> and That's pretty good.
0: Yeah, so, uh, so what this is telling me so far is, you know, the, the arguments against open theism that invoke prophecy are not good arguments, uh, primarily because Christians are able to explain away any type of uh, prophecy non-fulfillment in addition to being able to mentally justify almost any type of prophecy fulfillment. So prophecy has so much flexibility uh, in either seceding or failing that it makes predictions of the future almost useless, right?
1: Yeah, I was thinking that it's pretty much useless then. You know, there's no fail conditions and you get all the win conditions. So just now, s- you're stuck in the deck for yourself pretty now, much.
0: Now, personally, I, 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 don't, I don't adhere to that. I don't think prophecy has unlimited fulfillment. And I believe there are win conditions and fail conditions. Like, for example, we talked about the prophecy of Tyre, which I believe is a failed prophecy. I don't think it hit the win conditions. But what that does tell us about uh, God and his prophecy is that We could have reasonable assurances in the things that he says he's going to do. He describes a second coming, an apocalypse, which God comes back down to earth. He writes the wrong. He kills the wicked. He blesses the righteous and restores a righteous righteous, uh, world, world order. Uh, Something with instantaneous justice, something with with God's sovereignty controlling the earth. As Jesus prays, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His prayer was for God to right the wrongs on earth and impose a divine rule on earth. And so those types of prophecies, I think we could have faith in. I don't think we have to, like some people even, there's preterists. I don't know if you've ever heard of people who are preterists. I used to be a preterist. You used to be a preterist. And they, they thought prophecy must be fulfilled in all circumstances, as as the prophecies written, so so therefore, when we look at all the prophecies of the second coming, they're all written for people living in the time of Jesus. That uh, you're not going to go through all the cities of Israel before this end time comes. Uh, you the you know the the spring is here. Everything's going to happen in your own lifetimes, and that just didn't happen. And but the preterists claim, yes, that did happen. Now we're living in some sort of millennial reign or or something like that but all those prophecies were fulfilled because it seems to be the driving motivation is no prophecy can uh be postponed or the prophecy must come about in the exact way that they're given which kind of forces them to these conclusions and i don't i don't blame them for this i i think they're trying to do the best with The material they have but i think a more flexible view of prophecy might be a better take yeah and some of them
1: spiritualize a lot of prophecies too um so that they can't say that all prophecy has been fulfilled and everything in the bible none of it is future to us yet or even future to like the generation after the biblical the biblical writers um but like what you said earlier when you said that the bible is you know God revealing Himself to us. I think if you think of it that way, and you think of prophecy, you know, in the context that you describe, also where it's trying to convey um, that God is powerful and able to bring about His purposes, and you know, within within reason, we're able to trust Him. You know, to, to fulfill and do the things that He has said that He's going to do. He's powerful enough to bring them to bring them about, and He wants justice on the earth so he's going to get it. Um, If if we look at these texts and read them, you know, with this in mind, and also ask ourselves, you know, what is the intent of prophecy, like this specific prophecy? What is the idea that's trying to be conveyed here? It will make the experience of reading, I think, much richer in the long term and much more fulfilling, you know, internally and spiritually. And then we're not looking for, you know, trying to do the Bible code and get specific numbers and figure out exactly how many years of tribulation and what are these wasps supposed to be. And like these, you know what I'm saying? Like we don't have to do that anymore. You know, we can just let the Bible be the Bible and that should be good enough.
0: Yeah. Do you you ever remember that book that was published? Like uh, 87 reasons the end would come in 1987 or something like that. And then the next year, he did, like, 88 reasons, and, like, the oh, last, yeah. one, I, the last I, one was because he
1: didn't come in 87. <laughs> uh, addendum. Uh, just wait a year. Just one more then, year.
0: And then, you know, you just keep adding on. It's like, oh, maybe one more year, and then, uh, you know, then you, you turn from, uh, you know, like, a teenager, and now you're some 30-year-old <laughs> guy. Like, oh, okay, I'm, I've been waiting for a while. It's, right. I'm just not happening.
1: And stop setting dates, people. If you're out there listening to this and you set dates, stop it. You should be ashamed of yourself. Quit doing that.
0: Oh, uh, you should contact me because I will give you a futures contract on your house where I take ownership of your house after that date, and I will give you a fraction of the value of your house. Therefore, you could have a working working capital fund right now uh, in preparation for the end that won't ever be delivered upon. Because if the end comes before this contract, this future contract uh, comes to fruition, uh, you're not gonna have to owe me anything, right? It's free money. That's free definitely
1: money. free money if you believe what you're saying. And but like no one takes but, those. <laughs> no, and like the general Christian population because of their view on prophecy and their incorrect view of, um, they just kind of get fleeced by these people You know, that out here, like John Hagee, writing books and such, it's like that stuff's disgusting, man. You know, like, I don't know, we should be better than that, you know?
0: Did I ever tell you about the time I went to John Hagee's church? No, tell me about this. So I was—I lived in uh, like San Antonio for like uh, I don't know six months or something like that. And uh, I went to his church. And I was trying out all these different churches. Wh- whenever I go somewhere, I try to try a new church each each uh, week. And his church is like a mega church. It's just ridiculous to get into. <laughs> and uh, there's there's huge rafters everywhere. It is filled to the brim with people. And there's these huge monitors. And it's it's basically like you're sitting through like. Like when we are kids, we we watched something called t- television, and uh, t- TV channels didn't quite have enough programming to fill the whole night. You know, you had you know you had a few shows, but you had to fill those night hours with something called infomercials, which they would try to sell you something, and and so it'd be like a it's elongated commercial for a certain product, and that's what it felt like at his church. You'd be sitting there watching these monitors trying to sell you the latest book from the associated pastor and. And uh, it's like, I'm, I'm being pitched to, I came to church and I'm, I'm in a, I'm sitting through a giant sales pitch and, you know, and John Hagee gets up there and he's a pretty big guy and he eats a lot of food, I guess. And uh, does his sermon. I don't know what his sermon was about. But afterwards, they're like, all the newcomers, come meet John Hagee. So I I went to this little foyer, and everyone's shaking his hands. I don't know. But it, it was an interesting experience. It seemed very commercialized. He seems to have a wide television reach. And people just send him money. He probably has too much money for what he's doing.
1: Oh, he for sure has too much money for what he's doing. You know, it's just a business. It's a business. You know, And he's capitalizing on the ignorance of Christians. That more than likely are just looking for answers, you know. So shame on him. If I ever see him, I'll probably get another felony. To be honest with you, (laughs) (laughs) maybe you should edit that out. I don't know. It's just like people like him just really piss me off,
0: man. You know, what could be felony exposure? No, oh, he should be he should be so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) He should be so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Read a book about that. Yeah, that's funny. So uh, my experience in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. So prophecy. In, in conclusion, I guess we're going to wrap up here. We've we've been going about an hour, so we'll, we'll kind of wrap up. Prophecy is not a very good argument against open theism, coming from people who are willing to accept almost any condition as a win, uh, whether it's a it's a prophecy fulfillment or a prophecy failure. They're gonna any anything that happens is going to fit their theology without them internally questioning the validity of that prophecy. So when when your view of prophecy is so flexible to allow anything to happen as prophecy fulfillment or non-fulfillment and be consistent with your theology, it's not a good argument to use against others.
1: No, it is not.
0: <laughs> so I, I believe prophecy has limitations. I believe there are failed prophecies. And I believe Prophecy is meaningful and can tell us something of value, and so that's that. That is my position.
1: I'm with you, hundred percent.
0: All right. So basically, uh, that's what we're trying to explore tonight: the limits of Christians uh, mentally lying to themselves. Uh, what, what's a better word for that? Where they their rationalization, the limits yeah. of Christian rationalization about. Prophecy. So, if someone comes up to you and says, "Well, open theism can not explain Peter's three denials," well, you say, "Well, what if it had failed? Uh, it'd be just a conditional prophecy. So, if the fail condition is a win condition for my theology, it's 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 not a it's not something that threatens what I believe. Uh, Peter's failure uh, to affirm Christ, uh, if if he would have affirmed Christ, that would be a win condition. That would be a conditional win." And the prophecy doesn't as matter as much as the people. Yeah, and if you're
1: hanging your hat on open theism being false because a rooster crowed three times and Peter didn't want to get arrested and beaten, I don't know, man. That's, that's not a good place to be hanging your hat, I don't think.
0: Absolutely. So uh, I thank you for coming and joining me today and having this conversation. We'll have to figure out some more podcast topics to go over more similar themes to this because I think it's very valuable. As an intellectual experience, and uh, I value your input into the conversation.
1: Yeah, every time we do these, I love it, and I keep asking myself why we don't do it more often. And then I remember I exist, and I'm terrible at things, and <laughs> I forget about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you forget that uh, you have a house that's uh, filled with uh, dogs and kids. Yeah, and, and a cat t- somewhere probably throwing up. Yeah, don't ever fill your house with dogs is what I learned growing up with dogs is uh, they destroy everything. Uh, You have to walk them all the time. They poop everywhere, and uh, they're stinky, and they're a lot of work.
1: So much work, especially when they're little. But she's worth it. I mean, she's a sweet girl.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. So I'll I'll let you go. Thanks for joining us today. If anyone has any questions, comments, put that down below on our YouTube channel or, or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook group. Thank you for listening.